Hello and welcome to this GBM Media Podcast. You're about to hear Serving Today, a programme for pastors and church leaders. If you're involved in any form of Bible teaching, be that one-to-one or in small or larger groups, Serving Today will be relevant for you. Welcome to Serving Today, the programme for pastors and church leaders. It's lovely that we can be together again. Ephesians, more on the armour of God. And Jesus' name explained by Derek French. Here on Serving Today, we're thinking about the letter to the Ephesians, which can be found in the New Testament. We have the help of Ray Tibbs, who's going to pick up on where he left off last time, in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Yes, we looked at the first part of the full armour of God from verses 14 and 15, and now we're moving on to verses 16 and 17, because those items of armour already listed are indispensable, but they need something more. Yes, could you first remind us what these are? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. Additional equipment is required in order to stand firm in spiritual warfare. So let's read about them in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So here, first of all, we have the shield of faith. Roman shields were large, about four feet long and about two and a half feet wide, or just over one metre tall or 75 centimetres wide, and slightly curved. They were made of wood and covered with leather and metal. Soldiers were trained to use them in self-defence, both personally and also collectively in an ordered formation. They were sometimes even used to carry the dead. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 as the assurance that what is unseen is real. It focuses upon the person and the power of God and his continuing love for his people. When visible evidence of that may be slim, faith continues to exercise a firm trust in God and his word. The best defence against Satan's fiery darts is to lift up our faith in the unchanging nature, promises and provision of God. So that's the shield of faith then. What else are Christians told to take up? Next it is the helmet of salvation that's referred to. The head, containing the sensory and reasoning capacities, clearly needs special protection. Those faculties are to be exercised from within the confines of our salvation. Our salvation will determine how we think, what we see and hear and what we say. Our salvation can protect us from damage when we use it defensively. Also, 
a Roman helmet would sometimes have coloured plumage attached to it, identifying which regiment the wearer belonged to. Christian soldiers are not only protected by their salvation, they are identified by it. It is what makes them distinctive and causes them to stand out from others. Salvation gives us reasons to keep our head up, not down. It produces confidence in the reality of our protection and also pride in the sense of our belonging to God. So, we're to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. What's the last piece of the full armour of God? Yes, finally we have the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the only offensive weapon the believer possesses, not his tongue or his hands. It is uniquely the possession of the Holy Spirit and is useless without his agency. He inspired and recorded it, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He has preserved it intact and supervised its interpretation over the generations so that it has been faithfully understood and applied by Christians across the world and throughout the centuries. Sadly, that's not always the case, is it? That's right. It can be mishandled and ignored. But when wielded effectively, it is an instrument of death to slay the wicked. We must have it at our fingertips, ready to use at any time. There's an application here, isn't there? Does our evangelism blunt the word of God by dressing it up to make it more acceptable? It is not only a weapon in the hand of the believer... It is also a weapon in the hand of God, Hebrews 4 verse 12. If the word of God continues to cut through our defences and lay us low, it can do the same for others. Although we may feel unskilled when we use it, the Spirit can use it in our hands to bring life to others. And Yes, that's really good, isn't it? Thank you. Now, joining us with another name of Christ is Derek French. Perhaps overlooked and yet obvious at the same time, this one is vital and fundamental to the mission of our Lord and Saviour. The name of Christ we are considering in this programme is the name Jesus. It's a name that's always been precious to believers and is the subject of so many Christian hymns. For example, the author of the well-known hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton, also wrote the hymn, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a Believer's Ears. And the first verse continues, It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fears. Another verse adds, Dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. And there are a multitude of similar songs of praise to Jesus. Two verses of scripture help to encapsulate why this name is so precious to those who follow Christ. The first is in Matthew chapter 1. After describing Jesus' family tree, his genealogy, Matthew then focuses his attention on the events surrounding the Saviour's birth. 
and of particular significance are the words spoken by an angel of the Lord to Joseph, the husband of Mary, Jesus' mother. These words come from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel said to Joseph concerning Mary, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was specifically commanded to call him Jesus. Mary had previously been told something similar in Luke 1, verse 31. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which we find in the Old Testament. It's a name which is rich in meaning because it means the Lord saves. Indeed, that's precisely what the angel explained to Joseph. Mary's child Jesus would save his people from their sins. In other words, this child was to be the long-promised deliverer or redeemer or saviour of his people. This child would be the great rescuer of lost men and women who were in great danger of perishing. Now, we need to be careful because this does not mean Jesus would save everybody, but only those who are described as his people. Who are they? The Bible describes them using a variety of terms. They're those who believe in him, those who receive him, those who come to him, those whom the Father had given him, those who follow him and love him and serve him. They're called his chosen ones, his elect, his sheep, his disciples. In other words, they are those who come to know him as their saviour. And we may ask why they come to know Jesus in this way. And the answer given by the angel is that they know they are sinners because Jesus came to save them from their sins. And those sins were many, that's why the plural is used. There is, of course, the original sin which we are all born with and also the multitude of actual sins which we are guilty of. And these come in a variety of forms. Some are secret sins known only to the individual guilty of them, and there are open sins of which others are only too aware. There are sins of the heart and mind as well as of speech and action. There are sins of omission, things we ought to have done but failed to do, and sins of commission, things we have done which we ought not to have. And God knows all of these sins, of course, none can ever be hidden from him, but wonderfully he sent his own dear son Jesus to save all who will ever trust him from their many, many sins. Jesus accomplished this through his death and resurrection because he bore those sins in his body on the cross. There he bled and died to suffer their penalty so that all who trust him could be pardoned and set free, saved from the dreadful consequences our sins incur. His salvation is perfect. No sinner who truly trusts in Jesus will ever be condemned and never have to suffer the punishment their sins deserve because Jesus has suffered it for them. Jesus is indeed mighty to save, able to save all who draw near to God through him. And thinking of that deliverance from the judgment that God will bring on this sinful world when Jesus returns, Paul wrote this of the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10. He was speaking about the news he had received about them, and this is how he described it. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The salvation that Jesus brings to lost sinners is deliverance from the wrath to come. In other words, complete deliverance from the guilt and power and penalty of sin. Instead of condemnation, there will be glorification. Instead of fearful judgment, everlasting joy. Instead of banishment from the presence of God, there will be everlasting welcome into his presence and all because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. 
And Scripture teaches us so clearly that salvation comes from the Lord because he alone can do this saving work. No one else can do this, least of all ourselves. We need Jesus to rescue us from our sins, and that is precisely what his name teaches us he does. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that a day is coming when every knee will bow to Jesus and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who have refused to acknowledge him now will be compelled to do so then, but for them it will be too late. But for those whom Jesus has saved, they will bow on that day gladly and with great joy, because in a real sense they already do this now, as they acknowledge him as their Saviour and Lord. For all who do, the coming day of judgment holds no threat. Indeed, death itself cannot harm us, because Jesus is our Saviour. What assurance this brings to all who believe. And to all such, Jesus truly is precious. Thanks to Derek French for bringing us another name of Christ. Well, that is all we have time for here on Serving Today. We hope that you found the programme helpful. Do let us know if there are any questions or comments about what you've heard. Our contact details follow shortly. So this is Andrew Cook saying goodbye. And may God be glorified as you serve Jesus Christ, the one who saves from sin. That was Serving Today, a podcast from the Grace Baptist Mission radio team. To get in touch, you can email us. The address is servingtoday at gbm.org.uk or find us on Twitter at servingtodaygbm. You can also search our back catalogue from our webpage www.gbm.org.uk forward slash radio. Thanks for listening and goodbye.